The naked earth stretches out before you like the back of a horny toad with spikes and spurs and splotches of scales that not that don't ripple in the wind but seem to have a life of its own. You are watching your attention get split between the task at hand and those who may or may not be seeking to frustrate it, stop it, get in the way. You are hunting a man in his bed, approaching his home while constantly looking for ambushes. Your attention is split between the weight on your back and your attention to the team leader at the front of the formation who you trust a little more so when he's had something to drink, which hasn't passed for 20 days now. You are on your first deployment preparing for your first night raid. Walking steadily into the darkness under the green light of your night vision. The world is tinged in that color and your attitude is trying to remember all of the things that you have been taught. And also you are considering in the moments in between with a step, with a stop, wondering how you're going to react when it actually happens. And this is the attitude, this is a bit of a description of what it's like to be going on a night raid where you're, or where you're in a situation that very few of us will ever experience and those of us who have in the past will likely never experience again and those who still have that happening to them who are still going on those deployments will one day reach a day where they will go on their last. And they will go home and they will only be able to look back upon it and I bring this up because there is a theme within gun culture, and this is a podcast more directed at gun culture than some of the last ones to address the difference between shooting and killing. It is a topic which draws a lot of attention in arguments and backroom conversations, usually in the format of ego, of people jockeying for power or authority or position within an environment that has no real hierarchy or hierarchy. It only has mixed levels of clout and status and commitment and intent. And it is the one that we live in and the one that we engage in. There is a, you see it come up from time to time in conversations like, he doesn't know how to shoot, and somehow that's supposed to equivocate to he doesn't know how to plan an operation, or it's only skills, not tactics, or it's, that's a great way of teaching it, but I don't think you know what you're talking about. There is a certain attitude within gun culture that draws all of its attention to the drama between personalities and uses that as a distraction to get away from the moral consideration of what they are dealing with. Surely enough, we hear arguments that competition shooting isn't real life. And I believe if you were to ask competition shooters that 9 out of 10 would agree with you or probably 99 out of 100. 99 out of 100 well-trained soldiers will recognize that a world-class competition shooter will probably beat them on the competition stage. Those of us who in, live in between those spaces 
might try to see the merits of both, but are eternally frustrated by the pointless pitting of two different worlds against each other. But what it comes down to, and what it comes down to for us as individuals, is as we engage with the moral aspect of violence and how we understand it, we have to remind ourselves that the act of killing is quite different than the act of shooting. This should make no surprise to those who have any modicum of understanding. People have been engaging in violence, justified and otherwise, for much longer than the existence of the firearm. And it is that martial component which both draws our attention and strikes fear into our hearts. War is hell, they say, but they very rarely talk about the hell that comes after war that isn't driven by memories of what had happened, keeping one up at night, but the idea that they will never happen again, that someone will never be able to experience something that might be misconstrued as the thrill of battle or the peace of a good gunfight. And it strikes into our community in a restlessness that I think is at the heart and that I see that is at the heart of this conversation. And so while pundits and naysayers and the safety conscious or the safety obsessed will think that it is better never to address this kind of concept, it is a test in this sense to see whether or not our overlords or whatever you want to call them are going to be okay with a conversation on this level. Certainly it's not one to enter into lightly, and just as we understand this, we also recognize that we live in a world where we do not get to offload all of our responsibilities of living onto somebody else. In fact, it is this that strikes at the heart of what you call gun culture, and that we are not here simply to keep ourselves alive in an act of self-defense, as we well know that most of us will never encounter one. Rather, there's something much greater, something much deeper that drives us to consider these things. You might ask that, or you may imply that it is something like, being raised as a child, I wanted to fight dragons, and I wanted to learn how to be capable of violence but was only met with this odd moral malaise of our current era. Or you may have joined the military to realize it wasn't exactly what you expected to be like, or you may have not been able to join the military and have wondered, aim, or wondered with a little bit of concern what it would have been like. How would you have stacked up against the odds? Would you have had the courage to carry on, or would you have been one of those lost by time in history? And so as we consider the difference between shooting and killing, which is certainly not an easy topic, and we know that if this is being transcribed into some algorithm, they may not like me, but hey, so be it, right? We haven't been monetized yet. We might as well get started before it gets too crazy. It is an important question I think that we need to understand. In fact, I know what it is because what I witnessed on deployments is that those who had never considered it were faced with a much more difficult problem when the time arose. In fact, there was speculation and skepticism towards anyone who might have a moral framework, and what we eventually found out is that those who had one were more able to function 
in that rapidly evolving environment. It wasn't rapidly evolving in the modern warfare video game sense with new technology rolling out every day, but we learned and changed and had to deal with the difficulties and challenges of war when it arrived at our fingertips. And the difference between shooting and killing on its forefront is a very obvious thing. Being able to use a tool is only a small component of using that tool for an intended purpose. Being able to hit your target is not the same thing as being able to devise one, plan a strategy of attack, address the moral concerns, address the legal concerns, and be able to execute it with some modicum of precision. You can glorify it, you can demonize it, you can address it as this way and that way, but you must. what we must understand, both as individuals and, in, and as a culture, is, is that it is not something as simple as an aesthetic. It is not something that we get rid of by looking away from. Even if we were to claim to get rid of it, we would only be able to do so through the use of force. And even if, even if that were achieved, would it not be much worse off than the alternative? How many people would find themselves recognizing that the desire for dangerous freedom over a peaceful slavery isn't something that separates one man from another, but what keeps the living from the dead. And so what I mean to engage in this, and I, and I recognize that it is brought up with a, a sense of flair, for the dramatic is that when you engage and you see conversations about people going back and forth arguing whether it's through the internet or whether it's through social media or whether it's uh, in the comment section or it's in the bar room or it's between friends recognize that we all know that there's a difference between being able to shoot a firearm and being able to use that effectively against a living opponent it isn't as simple as saying you have tactics and strategies and techniques there's also a mindset involved and that word has been corrupted by years of abuse and there is a heart there is a part of our soul involved in it too because the commitment to doing such a thing within a moral framework plays or places a heavy weight on the actor it is true that those of us within gun culture, at least the majority of us, exist within some form of a moral framework and are at least partially aware of it. It is what drives us to that responsibility. It is what gives us inspiration and drive and commitment to those around us. We know that it is not something to be handled lightly, and we do not want to be thought of as those who cannot handle heavy tasks. You see this in the desire to be proven. You see this in the desire for a rite of passage. You see this in the desire to be thought as a man. Thought of as a man. Better way of saying it. And the experience of and of the experience of an infiltration is an interesting one because your mind is split between preparing yourself for 
what is going to come when you reach the target location, but also, and that might be considered an offensive, that will be considered an offensive strategy or an offensive direction of attention. But it is also split by a defensive one. As you're moving from where the helicopter dropped you off to where you're supposed to do this night raid, you are looking, you're preparing your mind and your heart for what might come to pass while also looking for ambushes or counterattacks that are intended to foil what you set out to do. And that mentality is foreign to most of us because we do not live in that environment. When we are going about our day, whether it is to the office or to the grocery store or to the bank, we're very rarely looking, we very rarely have that front end activity. We're not looking to go set up a night raid. We're not looking to go hurt somebody, but we are occasionally at mixed levels of awareness for mixed levels of appropriateness. Uh, looking out for potential threats. In fact, we do this when we drive. We're all we're looking for people. We are we are paying attention to the route that we much must go mostly, and looking for potentials that will impede us in that activity. This is only a loose metaphor, though it doesn't accurately describe the whole of it because most of us, when we are driving, are not preparing ourselves for a heavy moral decision involving that drive. In fact, we are concerned with the tasks that will be placed upon us when we reach our destination. And one thing that separates the two, and I think it is part of that razor, which separates the act of being able to be skilled with a firearm and the actions that lead up to the violence that involve taking one's another's life, is mostly internal. There is certainly skill involved, technique involved, tactics involved, but ultimately the difference between the two comes down to the intent of the actions. When I'm preparing to shoot a course of fire for a USPSA match, my mindset might be similar, but missing a fundamental element that involves preparing for a night raid. And some of that learning to compete and learning to compete well can help manage the stress of its absence. But what we see argued in gun culture is that we try to compare different individuals' performed skills as recorded by cameras, and we forget for a while, or are not aware of in the time being, that the difference between those two characters is not purely in their skill sets, but how and where they set up their mind, their ideas, their morals, and their capabilities beforehand. Preparing in this sense is a bit of a moral obligation, not necessarily to prepare for a specific fight, but to have some modicum of understanding of one's capability so that if nothing else, they can keep it under control. There is the horror of being a soldier and wondering if you are going to do the wrong thing. No one wants to throw the frag grenade into the room and find out it was full of children. That might be a greater horror than seeing a friend's limb severed, but I cannot speak for all of humanity. So... As we consider the difference between 
being capable of violence and being skilled with a firearm, we recognize that it places on us a moral restraint. We can argue all day long about the legality of this or that action, but what we care about when we go to bed at night is, did I do the right thing? And if we ignore that question for long enough, we may find ourselves in situations where we are consumed by an immoral desire and find ourselves going down the road in pursuit of violence that we should not participate in. I talked about vengeance recently, and I've talked about this in different ways. It's not the point to lecture morally on and on and on about all of the complexities, but to give you one semblance of encouragement. I don't believe that we are so blind to this. Rather, I think that we're, we've been unwilling to consider it openly. In fact, I don't recommend that we bring it before the forum or bring it into the Agora. Rather, we keep it to ourselves a little bit and talk with those who are trusted amongst us, our friends, our counselors, our mentors. Sometimes that might be a pastor or otherwise, um, a friend, a father, and, and so on and so forth. But it's something that, if left unchecked, will leave us undecided going forward surely you see this amongst the followers and not even not like even social media followers but those who get swept up by bloody revolutions the fervor of battle and the bloodlust of whatever the bloodlust of the moment consumes those who have left it to others to decide when is the right time or what a moral application of violence might look like it's certainly not a light task. It can be done by academics and those who have no desire to in, be involved in the academies. It can be done by those who exist in the political class. It can be done by those who will never see a pulpit. In fact, it is one thing that exists as a great equalizer is that we all are bound by some moral compass. And the act of killing the act of pursuing killing is quite different than simply being skilled with a tool. We know this a little bit. We know this inherently when we, we recognize that you can have all the right gear, you can have all the fancy night vision and suppressors and rifles and kit and plate carriers. You can be in shape. You can have the assets at your fingertips to get to any location you may be able to hit a target at a thousand yards with without breaking a sweat but with all of those things combined if you do not have the mental and moral framework by which to engage in that subject you will find yourself at a detriment this is why arguments of whichever thing is more important than whichever cqb or recce all fall flat if you don't have a foundation by which you make those decisions. And that decision is fundamentally a combination of moral and epistemological. How do we gather intelligence? What is good intelligence? How do I act correctly in a world? Where is the ambiguity? How do I sort it? And how do we carry on? 
And so while today's episode is a little bit loose and is a little bit off the cuff and there will be more conversations on this subject, I want to, I'm leaving this with a, a, an element of encouragement and exhortation. The things that drive us to become capable are not so simple as revenge or self-defense. They're much deeper within us. They are a desire to do what is right, to be somebody worthy of honor. They are the desire to protect the un or the the protect the what do you call it? Protect the 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 undefended, protect the innocent, and seek justice. And we recognize that vigilantism has great moral pitfalls, not all of them universal. And they are ones that cannot be dealt with lightly. And we also must remember that if you are concerned about the future of the world, one thing to be reminded by is if you look at it, at all of the violence that is going on in our world, especially in the West, all of those who are most capable of violence are refraining from it. Are, 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 it's not refraining, it's... The mo those of us, those of us in this world, or those of us in the in the West who are the most capable of violence, are the least likely to participate in it. If you want to call this Cooper's Law, you can go ahead. Although that sounds a little self-aggrandizing, um, but there is a consistency we see in the world: is that those who are the most skilled at the uh, the use of force are the least likely to use it flippantly. Those of us, and those of us who understand that, train and keep ourselves capable, and keep our senses and our skills aware and sharp, so that we will not find ourselves heedlessly or mindlessly calling for violence where it shouldn't be done. The inverse is true. There's a, or there's an inverse effect here, and that is. Those the less skilled, the more will the less skilled and experienced in violence, the more like the more willing people seem to be to call for it. The more of a safety net that they've lived in, the less the more of a safety safe, let's just say a safety net environment that one person has lived in, the more likely they are to call for violence. Usually being done on their behalf by somebody else. The more a person has become capable and understanding of violence, the less willing they are to talk about it or call for it or advocate it for it openly. And if nothing else, that is one moral conviction that rests upon our shoulders. It's not that everybody has to go out and become a Navy SEAL or an Army Ranger or a police officer, but what it does mean is that we need to remind ourselves that the capability often comes at the inverse of the desire to participate. So the most violent fantasies come from those who see themselves as not capable of doing it. And that is a moral pitfall. So if you think of yourself as the one who could never do such atrocities, I ask that you reconsider 
Don't bury yourself in guilt and shame, but remind yourself that the atrocities that we see in the world are done by people, and we are people too, and so we are capable of doing such things. It doesn't mean that we must be paralyzed by indecision, but it is rewarding and a, a moral necessity to consider not only ourselves, but how we are capable in these environments. And the Redacted Culture Cast has been a podcast that has been focused on intellectual tools, moral arguments, and how we think about things involving violence and involving sovereignty or involving privacy and rights and culture so that the next generation, that we ourselves and the next generation can go forward hopefully more willing to address the moral conversations that haunt us in the night. One of the experiences or one of the things about PTSD that seems to be consistent is that if the first time that you're considering what the use of force looks like is when it is beating down your door or bloodying your face, the sense of hopelessness matched with high amounts of agency seems to have a cause in that environment. To avoid being inflicted with moral arguments, we must make ourselves morally resolute by considering by what means we consider things to be right or wrong, true or false, good or evil. And if this has been productive, if this has been beneficial to you, I thank you for your time. If you'd like to share it, I would appreciate it. And if not, at least be thankful that your time, or I am thankful that your time here. I'm thankful for your time. That's how I think that's how I have to I have to close it today. I'm thankful for your time. So, with that being said, go forth and conquer. <laughs>